According to Governor Pritzker, Illinois is leading the nation in COVID-19 vaccine distribution. And Cranes reporter Wendell Hudson joins the podcast today to discuss his reporting this year on large corporate grants and funding for Black-owned small businesses and why 2021 will be an important year for such initiatives. Less than 1% of venture capital funding goes to Black businesses and, and, and venture capital is probably the largest funding source of any kind. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist. It's Thursday, December 24th. At Chicago's bank, Wintrust knows small businesses are important to our local economy and the well-being of our community. From diners to bookstores, auto repair shops to antique dealers, and everything in between, local companies make our area special and provide jobs in our community. Join Wintrust in shopping small this holiday season and supporting local businesses through a challenging year. Connect with Wintrust on Facebook to shout out your favorite local businesses. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. I'm joined now by Cranes reporter Wendell Hudson here to take a look back at 2020 and look ahead to 2021. So, Wendell, you did a lot of reporting on a lot of different topics this year. I think a lot of people did because it was a very demanding year. Uh, But this year, in addition to your Chicago Small Business Series, you also did a fair amount of reporting around grants and funding for Black-owned small businesses. Tell me about that, if you would. What we saw this year from several large corporations like Comcast and Accenture, is that they develop mentorship-type programs. Now, Accenture, back in September, they started their Black Founders Fund, and it is a $100 million fund that is used to help small Black-owned businesses grow. They invest money in their technology, and then they have someone from the corporate office sort of work with the, the founder of that company to show them how to increase their revenues, how to access capital, which is a a major issue that a lot of Black-owned businesses say is that they don't have access to capital that larger corporations have, particularly venture capital funding. So we saw a lot of that this year where these large corporations, one by one, I think I reported on maybe about five or six, where these large corporations uh, created these mentorship-type programs to help these, these small Black-owned businesses. You mentioned access to capital as as a common challenge. Were there other narratives that emerged that you heard that Black small business owners are facing right now? There is. Next to a lack of access to uh, capital, one of the other underlying problems that a lot of Black-owned businesses had was technology. So even with some firms, Google, for example, They created a grant where they invested in technology only in Chicago area tech companies because what they found with a lot of these Black-owned businesses is that their technology was not good. Either some didn't have websites or they had outdated websites or they didn't have the capability. For example, if it is a a retail business, their website didn't have the capability where a consumer can go online order something and pay for it with their credit card that they had to physically go to the the brick and mortar to do so. So the technology was the second biggest reason that a lot of these larger corporations cited as as why these black owned businesses struggle financially. 
How many people that you're aware of locally have received grants so far? And what have the grants meant to these companies? What have they enabled the companies to do? So there's been several here in the Chicago area that have benefited from these grants. But one of the things that's important that I like to uh, point out is that uh, Morgan Stanley had completed a study of the lack of uh, growth with Black-owned businesses. And so in that study that they released in September, it cited some of the conditional areas that these Black businesses are suffering. One of the things that they that the study concluded is it, it said black employees lost one hundred and thirteen billion dollars in potential wages because they couldn't get a college degree. The housing market lost two hundred and eighteen billion in sales because black applicants couldn't get home loans. Thirteen trillion dollars in business revenue never flowed into the economy, particularly in black neighborhoods. And in the next five years, the the report predicted that the U.S. could reach $5 trillion in gross domestic product if racial disparities are closed. So those are some of the areas I, that, that were highlighted in, in, in the study that, that Morgan Stanley did. It, it just shows the amount of money that is being missed, not only the economy as a whole, but the dollars that are not being flowed into these minority neighborhoods where these Chicago-based Black-owned businesses are because they don't have that funding, because they don't, they have that weak technology, because their employees may not have higher education beyond high school. Those are some of the things that are hindering not only those businesses, but the economy overall as well. Those are really, really stark numbers when you lay it out that way. Do you have a sense of how the pandemic might have changed or accelerated those numbers? Well, I know the pandemic, one of the things that uh, John Rogers the founder and co-CEO of Area Investment. One of the things that he pointed out in, in, in one of the stories that I did was the pandemic, which as we know, has crippled the economy as a whole, pretty much shut it down, if you will. But one of the things that he talked about was the fact that the pandemic came at a time when in the hospitality industry, for example, that the wintertime is what is considered a slow season for hospitality, such as restaurants. People tend to want to be out more when the weather is warm, and they tend to want to stay home more in the winter months. So when the pandemic hit here in Chicago, it, it, it was in March. Well, they were just coming off what they call the slow season. It was still cold. We were coming off the winter months. And now we're in this pandemic, and it hasn't let up. So now the summer has passed completely where – Hospitality, that's an industry that, that depends on summer dollars and tourism. That money is now gone. We're back into the winter months, which is the slow season, and you still have this pandemic. So the pandemic has, has drastically cut revenues for small black-owned businesses, small businesses in total, but particularly the minority businesses that typically don't have that cash reserve that a large corporation like a Amazon or a Walmart may have. So in your reporting around grants and funding for Black-owned small businesses, was there anything that was surprising to learn? One of the things that was surprising was that some of the larger corporations, the, the initiative that they started, uh, which everybody applauds, you know, and say it's needed, but some of those initiatives required 
a small investment in the company, meaning a small ownership. And so what other uh, black business and, 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 and financial experts saw that as they're using this as a way basically to buy the company at pennies on a dollar. We're going to give you $5 million to help, you know, your business. And all we want is 2% of the, of the ownership. And then the 2%, you know, later becomes 5 and 10. You know, these are some of the examples that the experts say could happen. Opposed to you just give them this grant, you provide the mentorship and help them grow. Why do you need to take some sort of ownership in, in, in the actual business? So that was a concern. You know, Robert Blackwell Jr., uh, who is the founder of a tech company here in Chicago, EKI, that was one of the things he pointed out and was one of the reasons why he himself had chosen not to uh, get involved in any of the mentorship uh, programs that's going out here for tech companies because he didn't want to have to give up any ownership of his company, whether it was 1%, 5%. He didn't want to do that. So he, you know, he, he said he was going to do without it. 2020 was a year of pretty rapid and uh, there was a big expansion of social change and a lot of calls for increased awareness of racial justice. Mm -hmm. Was this stuff that was in the pipeline or did the events of this year create these initiatives within these companies? Well, according to the corporations, it was something they had been thinking about all along. I guess you can call it coincidental that most of these programs did not roll out until this summer. So the pandemic hit in March, and most of these programs, they rolled out around July, August, September. Again, you know, that the, the corporations, the large businesses say this is something they, they had already been planning. It's just coincidental that it rolled out during the pandemic. But you mentioned with the racial gap, with the inequality and injustice that, that these, a lot of these protests around the country have been, been demonstrating uh, following shootings of, of unarmed black men. Racism is one of the things that Larry Ivory, who's the president of the Illinois State Black Chamber of Commerce, says is what he considers to be one of, one of the root problems. In, in fact, one of the things he told me when I interviewed him for one of, one of the articles, he said, quote, there were four million slaves at the peak of slavery. And the policies after slavery left black people and black businesses out of the wealth game because we did not own anything. And since then, not much has changed. I think these venture capital firms need to realize that racism costs money. And these firms need to develop more sensitivity when it comes to dealing with black businesses. So, uh, Mr. Ivory, you know, his, his, his mind is set. You know, I, this is 2020. According to him, he still sees racism as a major reason why many black businesses are not able to grow because they're not able to get the, the, the again, with the funding, they go to these banks, they're turned down. Less than 1% of venture capital funding goes to black businesses. And venture capital is probably the largest funding source of any kind from an institutional uh, investor side. If you can't get funding from the venture capital, a firm that is willing to give up billions opposed to a bank, which can make probably only loan you millions as a business, then you're behind the eight ball, as, as Mr. Ivey said. Indeed. Well, this is such important reporting. So what will you be looking for and watching most closely in the year ahead in terms of company initiatives around Black-owned small businesses? What I'm going to be looking, because I'm following 
many of these mentorship programs, these initiatives that were started by these large corporations where they're mentoring two small black-owned businesses. So one of the things that I'm going to be looking and monitoring is seeing how does this black business fare with their mentorship? Did they have to give up any ownership? Did their revenues increase? Do they have a, a new and improved website? Were they able to hire more employees? Did they downsize their office space? I'm going to be looking to see, because most of these programs are, are roughly about a year, uh, 18 months. So I'm going to be following this to see what is the outcome of this. You know, Are they going to be in the same position when they first came into this program? Or can they point to something where they can say, you know, as a result of working with you know, Essential or Comcast, you know, we were able to do this. We were able to do that. Revenues is up. We were able to cut expenses. We were able to create more jobs. Those are some of the things that I'm going to particularly be looking for to, to determine if these mentorship programs were successful or not. Well, we will continue to turn to you for the latest on that. Thanks so much, Wendell. Appreciate you taking the time to talk it through today. Sure. Thank you. Coming up, shops are converting into distribution centers amid online shopping spikes as holiday shipping delays are peaking and retailers want to take control. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Thompson Coburn LLP is a national law firm whose Chicago attorneys have represented some of Chicago's largest public and privately held companies in a variety of corporate and litigation legal matters. Thompson Coburn attorneys deliver exceptional legal guidance to publicly and closely held businesses, financial institutions, and sole and family proprietorships across nearly every major industry and business sector. Thompson Coburn is all about total commitment to its clients, its people, and its community. Remember, that your business deserves legal advisors and litigators who are totally committed to your success. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Goof. Governor J.B. Pritzker said this week that distribution in Illinois of the new COVID-19 vaccine is off to a fast start, with more people vaccinated here in the first week than in any other state. The governor said that so far just under 110,000 doses of the first vaccine, which came from Pfizer, have been distributed in the state and has been used to vaccinate frontline medical workers and others. However, that head start likely won't last as other large states get their allocations out, but the governor called it a good sign as the first batch of a second vaccine from Moderna also arrives this week. The governor said his administration will not decide until January who will be top priority for vaccines once frontline medical personnel and nursing home residents have received doses. The CDC recommended that some essential workers and those over age 75 be the next top priority, with other essential workers, those with serious medical conditions, and those over age 60 in the group after that. Cook County has received a AAA bond rating from Kroll Bond Rating Agency, which applies to more than $400 million in sales tax-backed securities. Of that, the agency said, quote, the rating reflects robust coverage of debt service by pledged revenues, which remains strong even under severe stress scenarios. The strong legal framework underpinning the sales tax credit and the depth and diversity of the county's economic base. They added, any concerns about the economy and the status of state funding are, quote, more than offset by the aforementioned strengths at the current rating level. Kroll is not one of the larger agencies, but the rating nonetheless will help Cook County market debt at relatively low rates. Another agency, Standard & Poor's, is not as upbeat, rating the same debt AA- with a negative outlook. 
A California investor, a unit of GCP, has paid $42 million for a more than 315,000-square-foot building leased to Amazon on West 51st Street in Gage Park from Connor Commercial, the Rosemont-based developer that constructed the building. That, according to a person familiar with the transaction who spoke to Cranes. Amazon leased the warehouse earlier this year, part of a broader push by the company to build out its local distro network. And at 132 bucks a square foot, the transaction ranks as the second most expensive single property industrial sale locally on a per square foot basis in 2020. That according to Real Capital Analytics, a New York-based research firm. But the price also underscores the value that real estate investors place on being a landlord to Amazon with its stock market capitalization of $1.6 trillion. In June, private equity firm KKR bought two Kenosha warehouses for $176 million that were both leased to Amazon, and that was the fourth most expensive single-property industrial deal of the year in the Chicago area, also according to Real Capital. Chicago-area retailers are turning their physical locations into fulfillment centers as online shopping continues to skyrocket and as delivery delays build. The move makes use of space that's not been seeing foot traffic amid the ongoing pandemic. At the same time, online purchases are way up, 33% over last year, in fact, according to the NPD group. Virtual shopping has caused holiday shipping delays unlike any the Postal Service has ever experienced. So sending items directly from stores gives retailers more control. Control. But in a sense, small retailers have already long used their stores as fulfillment centers, according to Rob Carr, president and CEO of the Illinois Retail Merchants Association. And often they've done that for reasons like they didn't have access to larger warehouses or the scale to do it any other way. But using in what some cases has become nearly deserted brick and mortar locations to shore up a retailer's distribution chain is becoming more and more common, he says. And he said he thinks that trend is here to stay. But retailers of a lot of different sizes are also taking to this mindset. Amazon used its new grocery store in Naperville, Amazon Fresh, to fill online grocery orders for months before it opened earlier this month. Best Buy, which already shipped some online orders from its stores, is remodeling hundreds of locations into hubs from which it can fulfill online orders. Similarly, Macy's is piloting something a lot like that this holiday season, turning two stores in Colorado and Delaware into service centers to serve as a place where customers can get in-store and curbside pickup orders, where they can make returns and pay bills while the rest of the store is being used to support fulfillment. But of course, there are also costs associated with turning stores into fulfillment centers. Staff members have to be trained and technology has to be in place, and such costs like that may not be particularly welcome at a time when many small businesses are already struggling to pay bills. Making rent payments has been an issue for about one-third of small businesses since April, according to a recent survey from Boston-based Alignable, which is a referral network for small businesses. However, experts say that mass adaptation to online shopping is not going away, even after widespread vaccination. And that's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Our continuous news feed lives at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to our guest today, Crane's reporter Wendell Hudson. Be sure to subscribe to these conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your audio on demand. And find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And let's continue talking there about these and other business stories. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.